Welcome to Christ the King this morning. We uh, had a great celebration of our 10th anniversary, and it was really all that I could have hoped or imagined. I just want to begin on a personal note to express uh, my gratitude and that of my wife and my family as well for your kindness to, uh, to myself and to my family. We really were overwhelmed, and uh, as insufficient as it is, uh, the best we can come up with now is just a, a very warm thank you uh, to this congregation. We are in the book of Colossians, and that's the subject that we'll turn to this morning. You can turn to some sermon notes included in the back of your service leaflet. I want to draw two points for us this morning, two points from this passage. We're going to observe first the hidden Christ, and then secondly, we're going to think about the hidden Christian. So the hidden Christ... And then the hidden Christian. Now let's look. Let's start in uh, verse 2 of this passage, Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. We're told some very important things about Jesus. We're told something of his phenomenal value. That's the first thing we're told. Just underline the word riches, or don't underline it, but note it. Riches and treasure. These are words that connotate the, or describe the, the value of Jesus. Secondly, note his obscurity. Yes, he is value, but his value is some way hidden or obscured for some. Right? So note the word mystery. And yes, he is a treasure, but he is a hidden treasure in whom are hidden all the treasures of, of God. So a pair of words which indicate his value, his riches, his treasury, and a pair of words which, in, which indicate obscurity. It's, he is a mystery and he is hidden. We're going to think about each of those pairs of words. First, the value of Christ. He is the riches of God, and He is the treasury of God. Now, every once in a while, I get to put my seminary education to work and uh, bring out my Greek, edu Greek, uh, Greek Bible. And uh, did you know the word treasury is the same word that we now use for thesaurus? Interesting. So if you were to look up, read this in the original language, it would read that Jesus is the thesaurus of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So treasury, you can you spell those words out in your mind. You can perhaps envision how those are somewhat related. Treasury, thesaurus, they sound a little bit the same. So here's the question. How is a treasury related to a thesaurus? Here's my guess. I don't have this on verifiable, but here's my assumption that behind every word is a treasury of meaning. So any number of meanings for any one word. And if you go to that one word and look it up in the, in the thesaurus, you're going to, uh, that thesaurus is going to reveal the, the veritable treasure house of possible meanings of that word. Right? So a treasury displays the wealth of another. A thesaurus displays the wealth of any one word. Make sense? So that's my guess of how a treasury and thesaurus are related. How does it apply to this passage? Jesus displays the wealth of God, the riches of God. In this case, God's wisdom and God's knowledge are displayed through the treasury, which is Jesus Christ. Yet this treasury, this treasure is a hidden one. It is a bit of a mystery. So that's a second pair of words to consider. Yes, the inestimable value, inestimable value of Jesus, but also his hiddenness. His value is not known by all. A hidden treasure. So a little analogy to help us think about this. 
Our youngest daughter is at age three. Her name is Susie. And we call Susie, and it began with my wife, we be call Susie our little treasure. As a matter of fact, we call Susie our treasure box. And uh, this is not universal. Sometimes she is not referred to as our treasurer. <laughs> and this is not universal in its application. Not everybody calls her a treasure. But beginning with Jennifer and moving on to myself and to the rest of our family, we have on occasion referred to little Susie as our treasure. As a matter of fact, when we're saying blessing around the table, we'll join hands and say, I have a scripted, of course, out of the Book of Common Prayer, blessing that I say, bless, O Lord, this food for our use and us for thy service. But Susie will interrupt, and she will say, my blessing, and she will start singing a song perhaps you know, God our Father, God our Father, we thank you. And it goes on, four are many blessings, four are many blessings. And we will, as a family, insert in that second refrain of four are many blessings, we will say, four are many blessings, especially little Susie, amen, because she is our, what? Our little treasure. She won't remain that way for always, but for now she is our treasure. Well, if you're not a part of the Glade family, what would your opinion be of Susie? If you thought of Susie at all, what would you think of her? You would probably, I hope, think of her as a cute little kid, maybe a little uh, precocious, hopefully moderately well-behaved. But you would not think of her as a treasure because you're simply not a part of the family. What is the man on the street who has no knowledge of Jesus Christ, who has no contact with the church, if he thinks about Jesus Christ, if he thinks of him at all, what does he think? Well, Jesus, he probably thinks of Jesus as the same way someone outside my family thinks about Susie. Nice guy, said some wise things, well-behaved, died nobly, but that would be the extent of their assessment of Jesus. They would not see, nor can they see, Jesus as he actually is. You see, they don't have the eyes of faith to see the riches and the treasure and the wisdom of God that is hidden in Jesus. It takes a special pair of spectacles. It takes vision augmented by faith to see the unique and wonderful, unsurpassed value of Christ. He is a hidden treasure. Now look at with me at verses 13 and 15. We'll see how this dynamic of a hidden treasure is at play. Let me read just a little bit about you. So this is in reference to Christ. God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God disarmed the rulers, that's the he, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That him refers to Jesus. So in your mind's eye, go back to that Good Friday, that crucifixion. What would you have seen through your natural gaze? Would you see victory? Would you see triumph? Would you see debts being nailed to the cross? No. You would see a man being nailed to the cross. You would see uh, the might and arm, the mighty arm and rule of Rome triumphing over anyone that stood in its way. You would not see Jesus in triumph. You would see him in utter and abject defeat. But now, 
Put on the eyes of faith. And again, look at the cross. Look at Good Friday. What do we see? Not just a man on a cross, but we see our debts on a cross. The sin of the whole world being, being paid for and therefore canceled. We don't see the victory of all that is evil and all that is wrong. Instead, we don't see the defeat of Jesus. Instead, we see his triumph. Right? You see that triumphing over them. All these things, all these evil forces out there, through the eyes of faith, we look at the cross, and that is exactly what we see. Jesus is the hidden treasure. True story. A man named Roy Wetstein was a rock collector. He had $10 in his pocket, two $5 bills, and he went to some rock show in order to buy uh, two stones for his two boys, $5 a piece. He went to a table that was selling agates. You know what an agate is? It's a polished rock, and if you're uh, showing the, the, the striped and textured, uh, well, it's a pretty rock, but not a whole lot of value to it. And so he went up to this table selling agates. He saw one rock, a potato-sized rock, and potato-like in its size and in its attractiveness. In other words, not very attractive at all. He looked at this rock and said, look, I only, got, I only have $10. Or, uh, these agates were on sale for $15. Would you be willing to sell me this somewhat unattractive rock for 10 bucks? And the fellow looked at the rock and said, yeah, sure, take it, Roy. And so Roy did. And Roy contained his enthusiasm until he had receipt in hand and was outside of the shop and then celebrated because Roy had just purchased the largest known sapphire. It was 1,500 carats in size, uh, largest ever. It was valued at $2.5 million, uncut. Sold eventually for $10 million. Purchased for $10. See, the rock seller just saw a rock, a rock that looked a little bit like a potato. But Roy saw an uncut sapphire. Well, I hope you can anticipate where this analogy is heading. Jesus is that uncut sapphire. His inestimable value is easily overlooked. So what do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as the world sees Jesus? Just a man, a man, a good man who died nobly, but still just a man. Or do you see him augmented with the vision augmented by faith? That in him is the treasury, the storehouse, who fully displays the wonders and the riches of God, his wisdom, his knowledge, his power, his grace, his mercy, etc. Now, following along in our passage, and you can follow along in our sermon notes as well, you'll see that verses 4 through 8 are a bit of a corrective, right? So he's just told us of the hidden value of Christ, and now he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, right? So that's verse 4. Again, note verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit. So, 
apparently within this church in Colossia, it, there is the potential for this church to wander away, that they would in fact be deluded, that they would in fact be persuaded by uh, or taken captive, right? So they would uh, give up on Jesus or something of that effect. And so the encouragement here is to persevere, to continue. Note verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him. In other words, continue living in him. But follow the logic. We are told the inestimable value, inestimable value of Jesus so that we persevere. Perseverance, uh, we've thought of this before. Yes, we are to continue with Christ. Yes, we're continue to say our prayers and go to church and read our Bible and be built up in the, the Lord. But it's not some sort of white-knuckled discipline that we do just by gritting our teeth. No, our perseverance with Christ comes from the fact that we have properly estimated his value. He is the pearl of great price. He is the hidden treasure. And perhaps as you come forward for communion today, we can ask God to remind us, to help us to see Jesus, not as the world sees, not a man upon a cross, but the victor, the triumph, the wisdom, the power, the full richness of God. We forget. We need our vision enhanced regularly. First, the hidden Christ. And if we gaze upon the hidden beauty of Christ, the result is what? That we continue, we persevere. But it's not just Jesus who has a hidden life. It's you and me as well. Follow along in our passage. We'll consider this idea fully next week. We're going to uncover the, uh, encounter this great passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, that your life is hidden with Christ in God, in God that you, your life is hidden too. And we see this theme developed here. So beginning in verse 10, just note the use of the preposition in or with, right? So in him, him being Jesus, you were circumcised, that's verse 11, having been buried again with him, that's verse 12 in baptism, in which you were raised with him. Those are three very important events, the circumcision of Christ, the, the, the uh, baptism of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Let me think, just think very briefly about each one of those. The, the circumcision of Christ was an actual event, but it was much more a symbolic event. So if you go back to Luke chapter 2, you'll find this event being recorded. And noteworthy, throughout that entire story, you find this refrain, all this was done according to the law. This event in Jesus' life, that being the circumcision of him, is important because it represents his entire life. It was a purified life, one done according to the law, one without fault. And so this actual event was symbolic of his entire life, without stain, completely purified. Baptism, what does that stand for? Likely his cross. Jesus would often, Jesus would often refer to his cross as his baptism. He asked his disciples, can you be baptized with my baptism, referring to his cross. This makes sense especially because the next sentence is, you were raised with him, referring to, of course, his resurrection. So those are three events, three absolutely essential events in the saving career of Christ. His sinless life, by which he was the perfect offering for the sins of the whole world. His sacrificial death, in which he paid for our sins. And then his resurrection, by which the verdict was declared canceled. 
And here's the great thing, the mind-boggling truth that the scriptures have for us, that you and I are not just witnesses, we're not just beneficiaries, although certainly we are of these things. You and I are actually somehow incorporated in them. You were with Christ in his baptism, his cross. You are with Christ in his purified life. You are with Christ in his resurrection. Do you understand it? Nope. Do you, can you point to any evidence to prove it's the case? No. Do we believe it? Absolutely. There is a hidden part of each one of us. And you know what it makes sense? It makes sense on an intuitive level because we all believe there's something more going on here than meets the eye, right? There's something more going on in you than you can qualify. I was speaking with a, a family this earlier this week, and uh, uh, one of the uh, children, who's no longer a child but a young, a young lady, was heading up to college. And part of that college process was uh, writing a resume. I asked this individual, well, how does it feel to write your first resume? And uh, I think the, the person responded astutely, uh, it just feels weird. And if you go back in your mind's eye about, for me, it's 20 years, from 23 years when I first wrote a resume, it is just a little bit weird. And what's weird about it is you have one piece of paper, 11 inches long, eight and a half inches wide, in which you list all your credentials and all your achievements to... to to justify yourself in the eyes of some college board or in the eyes of some future employer. And it just looks, look, there's nothing, it's unavoidable. Everyone's got to write a resume, but we'd all look at it and say, well, that's actually a pretty insufficient measurement of who I really am. It's inadequate. It's inadequate for anybody. I mean, all of us are a deep well. And none of us can be captured in a piece of paper or a hundred pieces of paper. And this is, especially, this is especially true for the Christian. It is. Because in addition to your GPA, in addition to your participation in student uh, council, in addition to your various after-school activities, in addition to all the achievements that you could list on your resume, any Christian could legitimately include the following. I have been purified with Christ. I have been crucified with him. And I have, in fact, been raised with him. Can't point to it, but it is as absolutely true as any other achievement to which you can point to. Jesus is not the only person who has a hidden life. You and I have a hidden life as well. A life that is hid with Christ and God. Now I want us to note just very briefly the impact of that hidden life. Look at verse 16, how it concludes. Again, follow the logic. Because of the hidden value of Christ, continue. Because of the hidden life of the Christian, verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. The result for the Christian is what? Confidence. Perhaps you know someone who fits the description that there is more to this person than meets the eye. Have you ever met anybody like that? More to this person than meets the eye. 
someone who has some courage that they seem to draw from some secret and hidden well for that courage. Somebody who has uh, unquenchable joy or unflagging hope and some unknown resource from which those things are drawn. You and I ought to be and can be those types of people. Each of us has a deep well. There's more to each one of us than meets the eye. Your life is hid with Christ and God. Let me recapitulate and then let's conclude. Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. He displays, he reveals the wealth and the richness of God. Yet his inestimable value is often overlooked and often forgotten by you and me. But there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. The followers of Christ have a hidden life as well. And while it is true that you are living and working and eating and sleeping and living and dying here in Northern Virginia, it is equally true that you have lived, died, and been raised with Christ, and you are with him even now. There is more to the followers of Christ than meets the eye. So may God give us the lens of faith to see Jesus as he truly is, the pearl of great price. May God give us the eyes of faith to see ourselves as we truly are.